0: Alright guys, well let's dive in. I think we're hoping to be done by 7.15, um, so we got a small crowd tonight, so um, if you guys want to jump in at any point and interrupt me or ask questions, um, I, yeah, if you want to follow along, there's the app that has the notes in it, um, so you can take those um, if that's helpful. And. Um, Yeah, so tonight, there's some of of the content that I was planning on going, I'm actually going to skip, and we can come back to it in the um, discussion time at the end, Q&A time at the end, um, just because I want to make sure we have time for conversation, if that's possible. So, um, yeah, tonight we're talking about how to address unhealthy dating relationships in your group. Um, this is my tenth year as a coach uh, at Northridge, a groups coach, and my thirteenth year leading a group. In fact, I've been leading groups ever since I was in high school. Um, our church had small groups for our youth group, and so um, over the period of time, I've seen a lot of like good things happen in groups, and people make good decisions. And I've also seen a lot of disasters, um, relational disasters, and unhealthy dating decisions. And so hopefully we can address some of those tonight. Um, I think all of us, we have our own stories too. So we, we might have been one of those unhealthy dating decisions um, or lifestyles at one point. And so we're, we're here because like we don't want people to go through the same thing that we've been through. And uh, we want to save people from some pain. Uh, I wanted to start off with a story. Uh, my wife and I met, uh, or after we got married, we jumped into leading a group here at Northridge, and we had a girl who was newer to our church and newer to our group. Um, We weren't sure where she was spiritually, like whether or not she was a Christian or not. And uh, so she started coming to our group. She was a little inconsistent, so it was kind of hard to really get to know her and and connect. Um, But shortly after she started coming, we found out she was dating a guy who's not a Christian. In fact, he called himself an atheist or agnostic, and he wasn't hostile to church or to God. He never came to our group, but he'd, even, he'd come to church on sometimes, sometimes on Sunday morning. And we weren't sure where she was spiritually, so it's like, we're not going to bring up something if she's not even a Christian. And uh, eventually we found out she signed up to get baptized. She wanted to get baptized, and she went through the baptism process, and she got baptized, and we were excited to see her take that step. In our church, and so we're like, okay, like this is probably a conversation we need to have with her at some point. Uh, but before we knew it, she decided to buy a house with this guy and then uh, wanted to get married. They got engaged, and we're like, oh man, we haven't mentioned anything to her yet. She's getting pretty, you know, uh, committed to this guy right now, and so we probably need to have a conversation with her that it's probably not wise for her to be in a relationship with a guy who's not uh, a Christian. And so some of the women in our group uh, said, hey, can we get together with you and talk with her, like saying, hey, uh, this relationship you're in, we're not sure about that. And she listened to them, um, but she was ready to get married. So she contacted the church about us doing her wedding. And one of the pastors met with her and her fiance and right away said, hey, we'd love to marry you, but um, if your fiancé is not a follower of Christ, then we can't do that. So we'd love to keep meeting and talking about our faith, uh, but we can't officiate your wedding at this point. And when she heard that, she was like, that's it, I'm done <laughs> with Northridge. like, if you guys aren't willing to marry me, then I'm going to go find a church that will uh, marry marry us. And one of the things that she couldn't get um, understand, she's like, I am his best chance to come to know Christ. Like, why would you not want me to be in a relationship with him if you want him to become a Christian? And so she really struggled with that. So as we, you know, thought about that situation, we really wrestled with, we like, man, what could we have done differently to have helped her to, you know, choose to please God and, and maybe not end up in a relationship uh, that could be detrimental to her faith and to her life? And so that's just one illustration out of many uh, that we um, might experience in our groups and so tonight i want to talk about four um, specific issues cohabitation living together before marriage dating an unbeliever sex outside of marriage and dating while divorcing Um, the last two i'm just going to kind of fly through those Um, i think sex outside of marriage has the clearest um scriptural support and so if you want to if we want to come back to that we can talk about that but the majority of the, the of these topics, I want to spend um, the majority of that time actually talking about cohabitation, because I think it's one of the most complicated issues. It's an issue that um, is not clearly addressed in Scripture, and so it's hard to say, hey, you shouldn't live together, because the Bible says not to. Um, so I want to spend the majority of our time talking about those. And after we talk about these four topics, then we're going to jump into Thinking about, hey, if you are ready to talk with somebody who's in a situation that you don't think is good, then how do you even approach that conversation? How how do you have that conversation? So let's dive in to talk about cohabitation. Before we talk about how we should view it, I just kind of wanted to get the lay of the land um, when it comes to this topic. So just defining cohabitation, um, a little bit more extensive than living together before marriage, I would say it's living with a non-family member of the opposite sex outside of marriage. Um, and if you were to go back to the 1960s, um, and you were to say, first love, then comes marriage, and then comes the baby in the baby carriage, um, most people would be like, okay, we're yeah,
1: together.
0: that's what happens. Um, but that order is just, it's not quite the same today. People don't do things in that order. In fact, since 1960, Uh, cohabitation has increased 18-fold. It's gone from 430,000 couples to to today there are well over 8 million couples who cohabitate and research estimates that now 50% of um, all people who are dating or together uh, decide to live together before they get married. Uh, I also came across a report a few years ago from USA Today that said Rochester has the second highest cohabitation rate in the country. Uh, for people who, for cities that are 50,000 people or more. So it's definitely a, what's that? Did it say the percentage or no? I don't remember what the percentage is. So um, Mm -hmm. suffice it to say, it's a common issue. um, And I imagine many of you have experienced it in your group. A couple more things that I found interesting. By the age of 20, 25% uh, of women have cohabited. Um, And then here's interesting. Ten years later, 75% of women have cohabited, um, lived together with a guy uh, outside of marriage. I think often, too, when we think about cohabitation, we think, of, okay, here's a couple who's dating. And they want to test drive the relationship. And so we think of like a young couple, no kids. But 40% of cohabiting relationships involve children. Um, so, yeah, back in the day, people would think of cohabitation, you know, they might say, oh, we're shacking up or we're living in sin. Uh, but today, people look at cohabitation as a relational milestone. They they think, okay, let's test dry up the relationship um, to see if it's going to work before we commit to more. We want to share financial expenses. Uh, we don't want to have to say you know goodnight to each other, so it's just easier if we live together. We don't want to pay for two different homes. Um, and then a lot of people, they just don't even want to get married. Uh, maybe their parents got divorced, and so for them, they're like, why would I ever get married? Like, I don't want to have the same experience as my parents. Or the people themselves have already been through divorce. So, if, like, you've been divorced. Like, I don't want to go through all that again. So, a lot of people just forego marriage altogether. So, that's kind of a situation um, when, 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 that we're in, in our world today, when it comes to cohabitation. But I want to think about how should we think about cohabitation and so I want to talk about what the Bible, uh, what sociology, and what wisdom have to say about this issue. Um, one of the challenges too is if somebody is not a follower of Jesus, then like just saying well, the Bible says this is not going to convince them to uh, get out of that relationship. So I think it's also helpful to figure, to like find out what are the results of choosing to live together. Is it really going to be a good thing for you or a bad thing for you? So. Here's six reasons why I would say those who are cohabiting should reconsider their living situation. Um, the first one, and this maybe is the one that has the most biblical precedent to it, is it, that it increases sexual temptation. Uh, so when you talk about cohabitation, I think generally uh, synonymous with that is sleeping together with the person. In fact, if you are to look at a lot of dictionary definitions of cohabitation, they include sex as part of that relationship. And I think it's possible to live together without sleeping together, but but it's not likely. And so when a person chooses to live with someone that they are not married to, then they're putting themselves in the most difficult living situation possible uh, to not please God sexually. So that's one reason to reconsider. Uh, a second reason is that you're actually at a higher risk for divorce and separation. So I think the general thought would be like, well, if I move in with somebody before marriage, then we can figure out whether or not this relationship um, is going to be negative for us, and then, you know, we won't um, get divorced. It'll it'll help us have a healthy relationship. But what was actually true is the opposite is true. There's a woman named Linda Waite. She's a professor of sociology at the University of Chicago, and she studied cohabitation, and she writes in one of her books, she says, Every research, research project that's ever looked at the stability of marriages that were preceded by cohabitation has found that people who live together before they get married are significantly more likely to divorce later. And the research actually says that 50, there's a 50% higher likelihood that that couple will end um, that relationship in divorce. And even uh, couples that never get married... Um, Or if you look at all cohabiting relationships, 80% of people who live together with their boyfriend or girlfriend um, before or outside of marriage, at some point that relationship comes to an end. So I think that that point just... What's that? 80%. 80%. So I I think it just points uh, to the reality that if you are um, in a cohabiting relationship, to a degree you're less committed uh, to work through um, that relationship. So a, a third reason to reconsider... Um, Cohabiting is that you have differing expectations, and as researchers have looked at this, um, they see a, a big difference between how women and men view the relationship so often when a couple moves in together, the womans like okay this guy's he's serious like he maybe he 's going to propose to me or this is going to end in in marriage, uh, but often guys don 't attach that same meaning to it they 're thinking like okay this is this is nice, I get to share expenses, I get free sex, and you know this is Just how this relationship um, is going to work. And and I think that there's little doubt that the number one reason why a lot of these married these relationships end or they never end in marriage is because the guy in the relationship says like I don't want to get married. So there's different expectations. Uh, A fourth reason to reconsider um, is that it can actually be more harmful for women and children. So often in a cohabiting relationship Uh, The women find that they're doing more than their share of the work, they're doing more than their half of um, the expenses. Uh, When it comes to childcare, usually they're the ones who uh, the burden of childcare falls on them, and if the relationship ends, um, they tend to be the single parent, not not the guy. Um, I also think when you think about a relationship, uh, the balance of the power tilts to the partner who is less committed and more likely to walk out. And that's often the man who's the less committed one. So it, it's just a, not a helpful dynamic. Uh, when it comes to safety, um, they have found that children who are living with a uh, person in their home who is uh, not their, um, their dad or their mom, uh, they are at a three or four times higher risk um, for abuse. Uh, in those situations. And so it, it's a dangerous place for children. And I think God has made it clear that the best place to raise children is within a committed home with, the, with a father and a mother, husband and wife together. Um, a fourth reason to reconsider is that it develops unhealthy patterns of self-withholding. There's a woman, um, she, her name is Dr. Jennifer Roebach Morse, and she got her PhD at the University of Chicago. And so she's studied these uh, topics. She started a global nonprofit um, that's focused on keeping families together. And So as she wrote about cohabitation, one of her books, um, I think illustrates this idea well. She says, when people live together and sleep together without marriage, they put themselves in a position that is similar to a person being asked to give a blank check. They either hold back on their partner by not giving the full self and the sexual act in their, shared, in, in their shared lives together, or they feel scared a lot of the time, wondering whether their partner will somehow take advantage of their vulnerability. And she goes on to say, No one can simulate self-giving. Half a commitment is no commitment. Cohabiting couples are likely to have one foot out the door uh, through the relationship members of a a cohabiting couple practice holding back on one another. They rehearse not trusting. And so, you know, people are usually saying, hey, we want to test drive this relationship. But it's not really a true test drive if you're entering a relationship where you're not fully committed to the person like you are when you get married. Um, One last reason to reconsider cohabitation is that it conflicts with God's good design for marriage. And like we talked about, a lot of people they're not even interested in marriage. They just wanna you know, have easy sex and share expenses and just have that companionship. Uh, but God has designed uh, marriage for a reason. It's the best place uh, to raise uh, children and a healthy dynamic. And it's the best place to uh, experience uh, sex without um, insecurity and, and some negative effects from that. So these are six uh, reasons why those cohabiting should reconsider their living situation. A lot of these ideas that came, um, uh, came from a book I read called Singleness, Marriage, and the Will of God. An incredible book. Um, if you ever get a chance to read it. And actually, I put together a document here. Um, I'll pass this to you guys. Um, if you're looking for more reasons why it's not a good idea to cohabitate, here's 15 reasons um, why uh, you should reconsider living together before marriage. So I tried to summarize um, a lot of the points from that book, and then I added just a few other thoughts Um, So as you think through that issue, I hope that can be helpful. But I want to jump into um, the next um, issue, which is dating an unbeliever. Um, You might have heard, I think, 2 Corinthians 6 talks about not being unequally yoked together. And that's a passage that's generally talking about um, this not being a good idea. And as I was preparing this talk, I came across... A video from a guy who talked about this and I thought he said it well, so instead of me trying to repeat what he said I just thought I would play this video for you. So take a look. Y'all ready? There you are. Let's cut to the
1: chase, man. So we hear all the time about the Bible telling us we shouldn't be unequally yoked. What does that mean? Well, Paul uses this phrase in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And there are a few things that I want to point out about this passage that may contradict what most people interpret it to mean. It's yoked, not yoked, okay? Don't think this passage has anything to do with eggs, all right? Two, this passage is not talking about two believers being unequally yoked. Many times we use this scripture to refer to two believers in a relationship and they're not equally yoked. Granted, two believers can be so different in their thinking of scripture that it could cause a problem. However, this verse is talking about believers being unequally yoked with unbelievers. Three, it's not just talking about romantic relationships or marriages. It's talking about believers being unequally yoked with unbelievers in general. Now, of course, this does include marriages and romantic relationships, but it's not limited to just that. With that in mind, I do want to address some things that we as Christians tend to do. We get lonely, we're looking for a mate, and we feel like we can't find a good, godly mate that meets our desires. So what do we do? We go out and find the most sketchy Christian we can find. We're not even sure if they're a Christian. Like, the verdict is still out. What's your favorite Bible verse? John 3, 16. For God a little world that he gave his only forgotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or we go out and find someone who's not even a believer at all. But hey, we get along, they look good, and they smell like fruits and berries, so we'll deal with it. Besides, I can make them a Christian, right? I mean, they need Jesus too, and they also need love and affection. And it just so happens that I need love and affection too, so hey... Two birds, one stone. Look, we are not called to be missionaries on the dating field, okay? Jesus didn't say, Go ye therefore and make disciples. And while you're at it, try to make girlfriends too. That don't, that don't work. You want to go on a date? Yeah, where are we going? Church. I feel like he's trying to change me. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what right. I'm You mean Jesus, girl. We are forbidden to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What business does light have with darkness? Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time, you were in darkness. But now you are in the light. Have there been cases where people dated or married someone and led them to Christ? Yeah. Is that the norm? No. Is that encouraged by scripture? No. Bad company corrupts good morals. If you're a Christian and you desire to live holy, but you're romantically involved with someone who does not care anything about holiness, don't be surprised when their carelessness rubs off on you faster than you rub off on them. And you can't afford that.
0: Alright, so yeah, I felt like he did a good job of summarizing uh, how to think about the situation. So in your uh, notes you'll, you'll find uh, five reasons we believe a Christian should not date an unbeliever. It's kind of repeating what he already said, they have a different foundational worldview. Um, if you're looking for like a one-stop verse that, that talks about this clearly, uh, 1 Corinthians 7.39 basically says that we're not mit- permitted to marry um, unbelievers. I should say unbelievers, not believers. We're only... Permitted. No, you said we're only permitted. To <laughs> we're burn. only permitted. Okay, there you go. Yeah, that's a <laughs> Um Unbelievers may draw you away from God. I was just talking about that. You look all through at the Bible, Solomon, Samson. You can see that illustrated. Um, God wants the best for you. So if, how could God's best be putting you with someone who doesn't actually love him? And then you're not their savior. Uh, at the beginning, I... I told that story of that girl in our group, and she just couldn't get it out, out of her head like, I am his best chance to come to know Christ. But I think the best way to, to see a, somebody that we love and care for come to know Christ is not by walking in disobedience to God, but by choosing to please God. Um, the next area is uh, sex outside of marriage. Like I said, um, we're just going to skip this one, um, but there are some passages there if you want to dive into it more. Um, and then dating while divorcing, this is a, something that's probably not talked about very often, but I think um, can be unhelpful. And so I just wanted to share um, four reasons we believe dating while well in the process of divorce is disobedient to God. One is that you, you're breaking your vow to God. So if you're trying to remain faithful, um, you're not really being faithful to your spouse while pursuing a romantic relationship with someone else. Um, it removes the possibility of reconciliation. What I mean by that is like if you start to get emotionally um, engaged or connected with a person who's not your spouse, um, if you're trying to reconcile with your spouse, then you're you're wrestling with like, well, I feel love for this person and maybe not so much my spouse. So it's going to be really hard for you to actually please God and choose to reconcile that relationship. I think oftentimes when people are going through the process of divorce in their mind, they're like, I'm already done. This marriage is over, even if it's not legally over. So they're being unfaithful um, in that. Um, Three is that you need a season of healing to work through your own struggles. So if people are still going through a divorce, uh, they need some time to to figure out where they are in their own life and work through their own part of the the reason why their marriage um, fell apart. Uh, And then number four is it dishonors marriage. And this this comes from uh, Hebrews 13.4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And so, dating um, while you're going through a divorce um, that involves sex in it is obviously a violation of your covenant uh, relationship with your spouse. So, those are four issues um, that I wanted to kind of give a biblical perspective to um, as we think about addressing those in our group. And. What I hope we wouldn't do is then say, hey, we've got all these lists of reasons why you're in uh, the relationship you're in is a bad idea, so here's 15 reasons why you shouldn't move out. <laughs> um, you can do that, but that's probably not going to go very well. So I want to just talk about a little bit about our approach. So if, if you think of the situation in your group, like how do you actually go about addressing the relationship? And so I want to talk about our approach first. Um, I think... A good goal would be that we, we want to see them change, but that's not a goal that we can control. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to, to share a goal that we have, um, that we can control ourselves. So our goal should be to provide a biblical perspective in the context of care and support. While praying, they will choose to follow God. And so before you even have a, a conversation with a person, I just wanted to share five principles to, to consider before confronting. One is just uh, realize approach crumbs content. How we say something um, can um, have more of an impact than what we say. And I think sometimes we have more, we, we just want to make our point to the person, but we can make a point uh, and not make a difference. And so we got to think as we uh, talk with a person we're concerned about, uh, and rather than focusing on making your point, I make sure that what you say, you say carefully, which ties up to our next several points. Show grace and truth. Uh, scripture talks about how Jesus was the perfect embodiment of, uh, he was full of grace and truth. And all of us lie, probably, in a tension between, like, we lean toward grace, we don't like to confront, or um, we have no problem telling people the truth. And so we need to figure out, hey, where do you lie in that that um, tension, and probably lean the other way. Um, number three, I would say seek to maintain the relationship. And I probably land on the, the grace side of things, and so I would... I would say, if you're going to lean one direction, focus on leaning toward grace. By leaning toward grace, you have continued opportunities to speak the truth to them. Um, and if you speak the truth too, um, too harshly, then you might see that relationship broken and then you don't have an opportunity to, to continue to talk with them. And that being said, we might have conversations like we talked about at the beginning where you speak the truth to somebody and that relationship does come to an end. And though we never would hope that would happen, it doesn't mean you failed, you know, if that happens. Sometimes when you confront people with a hard truth, they might um, choose uh, to walk away from from you or from your group or away from God and uh, we want to please God as best we can, but we want to seek to maintain the relationship if we can. Number four, I would say think think confrontation instead of confrontation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think yeah, this is a a, a different pastor uh, coined this phrase because confrontation does not sound fun to most of us There's some people who like it Um, but I think it's good to have that mentality um, about thinking uh, about care as you approach someone and then I'd say this last one I got this I read a book uh, a few years ago by what was his name Um, Donald Miller um, called Scary Close and in this book I love what he talked about like are you for people do they feel like you are for them like it's one thing to be for them it's another thing for them to feel like you're for them and i think it's you got to ask the question here like are you angry at a person because if you're angry at them they're gonna probably tell when you talk with them so you've got to do some hard work first to like figure out are you really for this person so those are some principles to consider before confronting last thing i want to do is just walk through um eight steps to carefully confront a person and the first one is to pray. Um, I think that seems obvious, uh, but if we really want God uh, to change hearts, like God is the one who has to to change the hearts. We can't, so we need to pray for wisdom. Uh, We need to pray that they will have um, an open heart uh, to what we are going to share. We want to pray for uh, wisdom and and exactly how we want to handle that. Um, one story I wanted to share with you, we had uh, there's a couple that's actually group leaders that are church right now. Chris and Caitlin Romanovich are their names. Um, they gave me permission to share their story. Uh, but before they, uh, when they first started coming to Northridge, they were living together. They were sleeping together. Chris was not a believer. And um, so they'd only been here for two or three weeks, and they wanted to get married. So they came to one of our pastors, and right away he told them, hey, I'd love to do your wedding, but uh, before that, um, you both need to be followers of Jesus. Um, you need to move out and you need to stop sleeping together, which is a hard thing to say, but a week later they came back and said, all right, we moved out, we're ready to please God, like, keep counseling us. It's just you guys. And so, um, yeah, it was encouraging to see them respond well to that, in fact, they went through all the counseling, they got, both got baptized two weeks before their wedding, um, they got married, eventually they jumped in as, as group leaders, um, and as youth leaders, and so the That's reason I share that story, story, what's that? That's like a miracle story. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. And so the reason I share that story is simply like we can speak the truth, and people do choose to please God. Um, it's often a work of God, and so I just want to provide a little <laughs> hope that as you pray, God can change hearts, and um, people will will not always choose to honor God, but um, it can happen. Uh, The second thing I would say is to invite to meet outside of the group. So oftentimes when there is an unhealthy dating situation, um, either somebody can bring it up in group in a really awkward way and confront the person, or everybody in the group talks about the person, like, hey, I'm in a good situation, instead of talking with the person. So I'd say as soon as, you know, you guys find out about a situation, uh, that isn't good, uh, make, invite the person to connect with you outside of the group. And then I'd say number three is to ask permission. So when you finally sit down with the person, I think it's really important to say, hey, um, there's something I want to talk with you about. Uh, do I have permission? If you know, I'm concerned about it, Do, do you, can you? will you give me permission to uh, share this news with you? And I think by doing that, you can hopefully help them um, not feel like they're on the um, defensive, uh, but they've given you permission to share. And then I would say, to follow the O.I.C. principle. Um, what is the O.I.C. principle? Um, well, it simply stands for okay, observation, interpretation, and clarification. And I think anytime you're having a conversation with somebody um, who you're you're concerned about, and whether this is an unhealthy dating relationship or any situation, I think this is just a helpful um, principle to think through. So O starts for observation, where you say, "Hey, I, there's some things I've noticed um, in your life." and I'm a bit concerned about them. Then you move to interpretation based on uh, what I've seen and based on what I know God's Word says or or, um, the experiences I've been through. Like, I've got some concerns about that. And then C is clarification. You say, hey, am I seeing this right? Like, is there something that I am missing? And it could be that they share some things that you didn't know, and it helps you see the situation clearer. Maybe they're not in a, a wrong situation at all. Uh, more often than not, it's probably not going to change your mind, um, but I think by asking for clarification, it gets them talking and feeling less defensive. And so I would say, even in, in the relationship, make sure that you're doing uh, a little of the talking and you're, and you're doing primarily listening. The more you talk, I think the more they're going to feel um, defensive, and the more that they talk, the more they're going to feel heard and cared for. So follow the OIC principle. Number five is offer to be part of a solution. So if there is... situation and the group that you're concerned about I think even before you have that conversation you need to think through well what would I say to this person like how should they actually what should they do to get out of the situation or to change Um, you can ask them hey what do you think you should do Uh, but be be prepared if they don't have an idea that you can say hey here's what I think you should do and then you got to be ready to walk alongside of them in that situation so it might be saying like you need to find a different place to live you can live with me, or I know a family in the church that you can live with, but offer to be part of the solution. Number five is to follow up. So if somebody is romantically involved in a relationship, obviously that's going to be a hard uh, thing to step outside of. And so we can't expect that they're going to change in a day. You you just drop this huge bomb and tell them they shouldn't be with this person anymore. They're probably not going to change right away. And so I would say follow up consistently. If you, if you just drop this bomb once and then you don't bring it up again, again for a long time, then your relationship is probably going to be awkward. So follow up the next day or the next week and just continue to try to maintain that relationship. Number eight, I would say celebrate progress. So if people do choose to, to please God, then they're going to need as many people as possible to be cheerleaders uh, with them along the way that they are choosing to do the right thing. And then again, I want to come back to prayer. God is the one who changes hearts. Um, And Scripture makes it very clear that the way that God works to accomplish His will is through our prayer. And so we can have an active part of seeing God change lives as we pray. So that was a lot of information to dump um, on you. I hope that gives you um, a little bit of a framework on how to think about those issues. And we've got five minutes. (laughs) So in our five minutes before we wrap up, uh, I'd love to open it up for any questions, um, anything that I talked about or you didn't talk about, or even um, ideas that you have, you know, from your own experience about how that went uh, as yeah. you address some of those relationships or any ideas you have to, to talk about those. So what do you have to share? And a
2: couple things is that okay. a lot of times you mentioned a lot of statistics for younger people, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people over 50 that are going through exactly the same thing yeah. Um, to be aware, but, but also um, Nate had said something in our, in our smaller group before that really, I wrote down, because it was so cool, um, it, it is to, to ask the people, first of all, is to, to make sure that they are valued enough, that was from a, the girl at our table, and then Nate said, do you know what God says about dating and marriage, mm-hmm. but just to give them that question, because a lot of times that anger can come out of. Well, they know. They have to know it that
3: they're doing the wrong thing. It mm-hmm. is on purpose. Yes, but yeah. <laughs> No, yeah. but but that that question of
2: do you know, mm-hmm. do you know what God says about it, and then listening really good mm-hmm. to hear what they what I mean might, it might be different than we might think mm-hmm. at that time. I'm not saying we know what God's word says, but to give them that um, introduction or to let them share so you can kind of mm-hmm. understand
0: yeah where they're coming from yeah
2: so, it's a good idea. yeah it is amazing how many people <laughs> over 50 60 70 80 90 years old that i have met that are going
0: through all right it's grandma come yeah. Yeah. yeah well and a really tricky thing when you, when you are like 50 or 60 or 70 you're like okay, do I want to bring this person in to inherit all my stuff? And, like, I want my money and my property to go to my kids. And we're both getting, like, tax uh, benefits. And as soon as we get married, and that's going to change. And so there's a lot of financial reasons why people are like, this is just not good for us. Right. I want to know what the statistics are for. Like, I have friends who are not even dating, but they'll, like, it's just a guy and a girl living together. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just wild to me. But I think it's common. Oh, so you're like... Like, hey, yeah. hey, I got a friend that's a girl. We live together. We're not dating or anything, but we're just, you know, we're splitting rent. Yeah. It's like wild to me. Yeah. yeah. Yo,
3: know, yeah, yeah. you mentioned yeah. the point, it develops unhealthy patterns of self-withholding. Mm-hmm. I feel like... You, did you mention a book? I feel like there's a book out there written by a non-Christian author that actually encourages... This. is that what you were mentioning and what encourages
0: them not to live together yeah, exactly. because
3: of that is there a book out there or no? there probably is but i don't i mean you i reference two i reference
0: two authors in there um who've both written on the subject um if you were to read the, that book too um singleness marriage and the will of god which i think is a fantastic book just on singleness and marriage altogether. Right. Uh, for building a biblical framework for that and cool. jumping into what sociology science has to say about that. Is that um, the kind of
3: stuff in that book? Yeah, and they will have
0: all kinds of references for sources that they found right, that information cool. yeah. from.
3: So I'm thinking about like maybe writing someone to read
0: the book. That's
3: mm-hmm. a good idea. Good, yeah. Good. Looking for some like, good resources.
0: It's very much like a, it's almost like a textbook, like if you're at a at Bible college or whatever, like, I think these guys were, one of them at least was like a Bible college professor, um, but it's like very clear, it's very well researched, and I don't feel like it's, a, it's not a hard read, um, but it's a very thorough book, so. I think, of what you were saying, too, um, I've noticed
2: a lot of people like, oh yeah, I mean, five of us living in the same house, oh yeah, one's a girl, and you know, yeah. this and that. And I, I, it does seem to be like a kind of a thing right now because people trying to save money and that kind of thing. But no, 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 we're not serious. We're not dating. But we did. we might share the same room. <laughs> you know, whenever. Yeah, it's
1: like at 10
0: o'clock at night. Like if there's a guy and a girl, guy and a girl in the same house, like, like what God... Didn't create you
1: guys
0: just sit on the couch and hang out? And talk you. It's like, you know what I'm saying?
1: It's like yeah, you know, it's super dangerous. yeah, it's, it's awesome. awesome. Yeah, sure. it's super. We share in a bathroom and, and yeah, it's, it's like yeah,
2: and it's also our most vulnerable times at yeah. night because we're more tired and we can make bad decisions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you
0: know, we... It's such a tough thing though because there is no scriptural prohibition to not live. I mean, part of the reason why I think there isn't is because it wasn't conceivable at the time that this would be like. Uh, a lifestyle choice mm-hmm. and so scripture doesn't directly address it um and so it's hard to be like well you shouldn't do that it's, yeah. it's a lot of it just like I'm a wisdom thing it. like is this is this really the best thing you know for you, okay. mm-hmm. 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 Sure you
3: remember
2: that. I remember after Virginia Tech my daughter was involved Bell- with the shootings there and she lost two of her best friends yeah. and oh. so she was down there and she was a brand new Christian like just just like 1920 and um she was struggling because she was like, it would be really nice if there was a guy that lived in my house because then I would feel safer because of what she, the trauma she had been through. Mm-hmm. And we talked it through and I said, you know, God's bigger than any guy. <laughs> just, I mean, just that he can protect you and watch over you. Um, and, but it is good if you have friends that you could call if you need something like that. But we, we talked about the dangers and stuff, but she chose not to, which was cool. But it was. It's hard when somebody goes through trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, she saw. She saw too much for
0: mm-hmm. a kid. It was only a kid, a young mm-hmm. adult who was twenty, I think. Yeah. Yep. Any final thoughts or questions? This was really good. I love you.
3: <laughs> yeah, this and I'll, so I'll really just second great. the OIC. Mm-hmm. I always said confirmation, but clarification. I don't know. They're both really good. Um, OIC is the, by far the best mode of conflict management I've ever experienced in my life like it is the best way to bring up difficult conversations with people so I would just throw it out there as a second like it is so helpful because it's it's like very casual it's just like a hey I noticed this like this is how I see that like do you see that the same way or do you see it differently like it's literally the like simple question and it just opens the door for conversation for you to understand where they're coming from whether it's like a work conflict, a home conflict, whatever, like it is the best method for just <laughs> getting some conflict out there in a way that doesn't feel like a fight. I, it really is. That is so cool. So it's just like I, I, have told so many people about that same thing as well. It was cool to see yeah. so <laughs> it. it on to them. Yeah. The
0: last couple of weeks. You saw O I senior? Yes. Oh. I was like, ah, yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. I haven't seen it in so long. I was like, I was glad other people are still Can you, can you kind of like role play
2: it with you two? Like just so, so I can get in my mind like Are you being serious? I'm, I am, I'm serious. The first one I got because okay. you just okay. described it.
3: Jason. I'll do what I see about Jason's shirt. Ready? Okay, there you go. So Jen, I noticed, <laughs> noticed you're wearing this shirt and a couple of years ago we had this stage... Uh, stage document a while that talked about, you know, different things that we could wear. Did you receive that? Like, what am I missing here? You know, like, what do I need to know about the situation? That's a really bad example. <laughs> totally so we're not
0: supposed to wear sports memor- memorabilia on stage? Is that <laughs> <wear> what it was? <laughs> I'm directly defying those orders. Oh. This is my event. I will... Win. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Weirdly. Jason walked
3: through a really great example. Like, where he, like... yeah The coffee shop example, where you're like... You're like, hey, I'm noticing these patterns in you. You're just making an observation about the person. You live with this person. Yep. And then, like, you're making an interpretation about how you perceive
0: that. Hey, like, I see that, like... Being... Unhealthy. How do you see that? <laughs> yeah, sure. I, 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 I see that as potentially something that
3: could, you know, could hurt your relationship in the future, and oh, no, no, goes no. against what 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 God's word says. Like, how do how do you see that situation? What which way do you see that situation that I'm not seeing? Like, I'd love to hear your side of it. Like, because a lot of times, what am I not, like, not oh, seeing?
1: You know, I I don't see it as wrong. I see it as like actually it's beneficial to our relationship, and do will be serious about it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: but
3: sometimes I, what like people in my group have brought this up to me and I haven't even had to confront them which has been kind of cool they just like brought it up but it's besides being like well God says no like there ha- it's, it's it's difficult to be like well God says no like,
0: you yeah. dishonoring
3: God right now like yeah
2: that's not very motivating right like, yeah I feel
0: like people need to know not just that God says something but there's a reason why he said something so you almost have to prove him like God said this because it's the, it works best this way. And so until they're convinced that this is the best way to do it, they're not going to change, especially if they're like emotionally invested in a relationship. Maybe right. right. it's mm-hmm. reading a book. Maybe it's telling them about statistics. Like, oh, yeah. even if you're not a believer and you see those statistics, doesn't that make you at least go like, well, if you really care about like, that relationship, like, it would be yeah. Like, yeah. like, well, like maybe I should, think yeah, maybe I, I should yeah. learn more about it. I think the challenge is people are always like, well, that's, I'm not part of that status. Like, we're, we're good, you know? And so, I, I think some of the things, like, uh, the pattern of, like, commitment or half a commitment, like, people would probably, really like, like, okay, yeah, I, that's right. Like, I'm I'm not certain where this relationship is going. Like, we're test driving, but we're not, like, committed like a married couple is committed to the relationship, so. Yeah. And how
2: about the C? Clarification. I would yeah. do that. I'm just... So,
3: let's go. We can keep going on this subject. Like, the yeah. dating. I think that's just simply, like, that's how I see this, do you see it the same way, do you see it a different way, like what am I not seeing yeah. here that you see, yeah. Yeah. Okay. it's just like giving them a cha- it's basically giving them a chance to make their interpretation, okay. that's okay. how I interpret yeah. it,
2: you know,
0: how do you interpret it, they're like actually that's my sister, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're like oh okay, or like oh <laughs> so we actually don't know? live together, or <laughs> yeah, or whatever it
2: is, I don't know, <laughs> Oh, like we're sleeping together. It's basically no a free
3: shot at them telling you their side of it so without you judging them. Judging. There's no conflict yet, it's just like a I see this, this is how I see that, like how do you see it? Yeah. And then but then you might you might you might just gently disagree with them, like oh, okay, that's interesting, like never thought about it this way. I don't see it the same way as you, but like thanks for letting me know how that is. Like it just opens the door. Yeah.
0: I think there's a passage in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 5, where there's the man who is sleeping with his, like, stepmother or something like that, and they're like, you guys are, like, not treating, taking this seriously, and you, (laughs) like, throw this guy out of your midst. And in that passage, it basically says, we shouldn't even eat with people who are living in sexual immorality. And Scott was mentioning this to me recently. He was saying, like, when I confront a person and say, like, I've got nothing like that to share with you. Like, I, I get nothing to gain from this. The scripture is saying, like, I shouldn't even be eating with you. Like, I want you to please God. I want to please God. And, like, I, I don't want to, on the judgment day, say, like, I didn't tell you what I needed to tell you. And so I thought that was just a really helpful perspective and how to think about a really difficult conversation. And I think he said he's never had somebody... Respond badly to him when he's saying like you know I get nothing out of this like I'm just trying to please God and help you to please God.
3: Then it goes back to your point like about being for them and I feel like I've had to challenge myself with that so many times like if you really approach a situation because you love someone so dearly like the way you talk to them is going to be so different than like when you're annoyed or upset with Mm them. Like so I just think getting your heart in the place where you're like I love this person so much I can't not shared this with you just like helps you talk to them in a way that's caring and like like receptive versus like hey you know like you're screwing up your life and you're not honoring god and you're a terrible person right like <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's like one of the most important things for me is like to not be to make sure not I'm be angry. angry with this person because it's so easy to just like someone's doing something that's not right and be like all
0: right well we're eight minutes long so i'm gonna let you go yeah, but thanks so, so much good. for sticking around a the discussion if you have more questions. I'd love to connect more. Um uh, but yeah, have a good night. Thanks for coming. What do you got?
2: What's your observation? That was really cool. What a great group we can. I think.